Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One, two, three, Hello and welcome to Your Own Personal Beatles, a new podcast about the Beatles with me, Jack Pelling. And me, Robin Allender. This week we're delighted to be joined by Welsh comedian, broadcaster and podcast veteran Ellis James and we chat to him about, well, we, it's not much we don't really talk about in this episode, Beatles related. Yeah, he really loves the Beatles. <laughs> yeah. It was really lovely to chat to Ellis about this. It felt like he'd been saving up a lot of facts uh, about the Beatles, which is great. I think he, we, we kind of ended up talking less about what they mean to him, I suppose, and more about the cultural impact. And... Yeah, and, and the 60s in, in general and yeah. Ian McDonald's book Revolution in the Head gets quite a few yeah. uh, mentions. I'm not sure if we explicitly mentioned that at the beginning. So if we are if we're referring to the Ian McDonald book, that's what it's called. Yeah, he held the book up on the camera, didn't he? Yeah, so. yeah. So uh, not so audio friendly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we talked about lots of the touring years, the electrifying pace with which the sort of 60s zeitgeist was. A, trail that was blazed by the Beatles and mm. some of the bands in their wake and then their influence on sort of Ellis's music later on in his life and his sort of listening habits in general. Yeah, we touched on Gorky's briefly, um, mentioned a bit of the kind of Ellis and John show and uh, John Robbins is not a fan of the Beatles and sort of how to deal with, uh, with an obstinate Beatles friend, <laughs> yeah, yeah. which we all have. Before we get on with this week's episode, just want to say a massive thank you to everyone who downloaded our introductory episode last week. And thank you so much for the people that took the time to send us nice emails and leave us reviews and things like that. We really appreciate it. Had some lovely messages and it's really nice to hear people kind of engaging with it and if you do enjoy the show then please take the time to go to itunes and um or apple podcasts and as it is now granddad um and leave <laughs> us a five-star review that would be absolutely lovely and continue to send in your nice messages and yeah get in touch we 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 always love to hear from you so without further ado let's hear ellis james's own personal beatles Oh, that's and, a shame because uh, I read this know. cover to cover last. Oh time. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, we absolutely I, I, can. I got, I got my copy out of storage as well. It's, it's so good. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't yeah. it? Paul McCartney. Uh, I read an interview with him talking about it yesterday, and he described it as a toilet book. I know what he means because I, I think the first forty-two pages where he talks about the Beatles generally and also the sixties, and I think that's very good. Hmm. Mm. I mean, it's such and an the, amazing essay about the sixties. It's yeah. like. So incisive, isn't it? And then when he breaks the songs down song by song, mm. if you really love the song and it means a lot to you, then it's fascinating. But especially some of the really early stuff, when they were often doing covers, mm. I'm not. I'm not really. I yeah. can't. I don't care that Lennon was harmonising using a fourth or a fifth rather yeah. than a more traditional third. <laughs> he loves it saying mixolydian as well. He's, well, <laughs> he's always saying the word mixolydian. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I only found out what that meant this year. Anyway. There's lots of like throwaway mentions of the T.S. de Picardy as well, which if you don't yeah. have a music degree is probably quite confusing. Yeah. I think you'd need a music degree or certainly music A-level to to enjoy most of it. There's that yeah. amazing... Because they weren't trained, they weren't, the Beatles weren't musically no. trained. I mean, I think McCartney had more of a background in theory than Lennon because his father led a jazz band and could play the piano. Well, I don't mm. think his father could read music. But um, there's that very early review of, I think it might be Love Me Do, in the Times, where they're talking about Aeolian cadences. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Lennon's like, it sounds like you're talking about t- t- two birds. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't, uh, a bird song, it doesn't, it doesn't yeah. mean anything to me. Yeah. And the thing with Revolution in the Head, it is... Uh, Tremendous piece of work, mm. yeah, and it's an, amazing an achievement. Achievement—that's the word yeah. I'd use as well. But 
you're trying to quantify joy. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. And uh, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, he makes the point several times that they're unschooled, that McCartney was unschooled and was just this amazing melodicist. Um, well, he he says something quite mean about McCartney. He says that Lennon, it was all about expression. Yeah, we we read this quote actually in one of the yeah. Episodes. I read so this brilliant. last night, and, I, yeah. and I'm mm-hmm. I'm an enormous McCartneyist. I'm, I'm firmly in the McCartney camp. I think he says that he's um, partial to uh, lapses of taste and yeah. Um, yeah. excruciating lapses of taste. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not but, me. Yeah. yeah, Ian McDonald's also incredibly damning about a lot of the songs and particularly the later stuff i think he loves i am the walrus and he sees that as the absolute peak yes. i think and, and he um, says he ends that, the life day in the I life yeah it's the peak as well and i think i am the walrus ends with him saying they would never reach this extraordinary peak again and there's like 200 pages left <laughs> 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 so. I, I also think that because he's coming at it from a musicologist's point of view yeah this book let's face it, is going to be sold to Beatles fans. Yeah. And I think the Beatles really, really find their feet with Rubber Soul. I think Rubber Soul mm. and Revolver are two absolutely exceptional albums. Right, yeah. And they, st- they still sound exceptional and they still stand up. Mm. However, and I think everything there pretty much from 65 to 70 is perfect, in my opinion. Yeah. So when he, mm. when he, when he sticks the boot into songs on the White Album that I really like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah there's a lot on the White Album he doesn't like. And he does focus a lot on Please Please Me. and like he, I think I get the impression he loves the early stuff. And Ian McDonald's very interesting as well because he seems to... He, he has a real go at Helter Skelter, doesn't he? That's which I love. Mm. Yeah, I love Helter Skelter. Because he basically is saying, oh, it paved the way for metal, which was bad. Like, you know, <laughs> as if he's made this objective decision that hard rock was, was bad. Yeah, you know? but... but, but the, my my argument would be if a throwaway song on a double album paves yeah. the way for one of the world's biggest genres, yeah. then yeah. There, ha- there has to be merit to that. And, yeah, and the, exactly. the, the thing with the Beatles, or the thing with metal, I think in the UK, we don't realise how huge it is worldwide. Yeah, right. Totally. We, we, I went to see Metallica last year with my brother. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. I, I, yeah. Yeah, and I... I kind of realised thrash metal is probably the most impo- most popular genre of music that's ever been invented. It's massive, yeah. Thrash metal mm. specifically, but but yeah, it's it, it's so alternative. Not not music. I mean, I mean the mainstream press and the mainstream mm. music press in particular have just completely ignored it yeah, since yeah. Sabbath. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> you go to Donington Monsters of Rock or download. <laughs> And it's a very hot ticket. Everyone there looks the same. Yeah. And you're like, where are you for the rest of the week? But the, <laughs> for the rest very, of the year. Yeah. Yeah. But it's that very... The, the metal community is amazing as well. I remember yeah. that about that Metallica gig. Like every, we're standing next to these, you know, just... Um, with these people who just became friends by the end of the night and everything. They're all just so nice. The, when <laughs> I was growing up, I lived in a really small town. Mm. And in the 80s, there was the metal guy. Yeah. And there was the punk guy. And then right. you'd see him walking down the high street. And I was frightened of both of them. <laughs> because it's quite an intimidating look. Yeah. And in I mean, the sex pistols themselves never actually dressed like this really, but the big orange Mohican mm. that you see on those postcards, postcards. Of, <laughs> of, of London for some yeah. reason. Yeah. <laughs> that are sold to tourists. That was quite a big look, say, when I was about six or seven. Mm. And I was very frightened of those people. I assumed that they were hard and were going to yeah, get yeah. me. <laughs> metal Metalheads and metal fans, in my in my experience, are nerds, but are mm. nice nerds mm. yeah. who just happen to love this very heavy, uncompromising kind of music. Yeah, yeah. But if that all came from, Well, it didn't all come from... But it, but if Hel- Helter Skelter is an enormous part of the genesis of that, yeah. Then, then you can't say it's shit. I don't think. No, yeah. It's definitely like I mean, I suppose Led Zepp were. When's the first yeah. Led Zepp? I think it was 69? their reaction to sort of Cream and stuff right, like that, yeah. and the way yeah. that he used to. He liked the way they doubled the bass lines and got that really fat sound through those new Marshall amps that weren't really around before then, and, and, and also um, the Kinks all day and all of the night, and you yeah. really got me. Uh, the the other the other example, I think that that. Really early six, not early sixties, but that uh, proto metal. Or yeah, it's really interesting the way he's playing Helter Skelter. Have you ever tried to play it on a guitar? No, no. Because all, all he, he's doing is um, 
It's just an open chord. I think it's an E. And he's hitting the E string so hard that it's going... It's detuning slightly. It's bow, down, down. So oh, it's like, wow. Oh, nice. You know, if you hit it really hard, you get that effect. But you obviously can't play it unless you're really amped up. Well, I... <laughs> I was... I, I watched... Um, I didn't watch... There's, there's no video footage, but I listened to the, the Beatles' final ever gig at Candlestick Park in San Francisco last night. Oh, yeah. Mm. And I was reading about Shea Stadium, and I, I listened to some of the Shea Stadium stuff, and... Lennon's Lennon goes m- mad at Shakespeare. Yeah, Stadium, Lennon's yeah. mini mini breakdown during I'm Down <laughs> yeah. is one of my all time top five Beatles moments, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I when you know I'm down. Playing the keyboards with his elbows. Oh, with his elbows. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're, they're playing at Shea Stadium, mm. and you know there are fifty-five thousand people there. And I, I, as an experiment, I was going to show the footage to my to my daughter because if you just look at the women and the girls, you would assume that an atrocity was happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a massacre. Yeah, a massacre yeah. in the stadium <laughs> because they are all in floods of tears and yeah. screaming. Yeah. They mm-hmm. they they look like they're in agony. Yeah, and and the 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 boys are dancing and seemingly having a good time, but the girls, it's it's like they're witnessing some of the worst atrocities and massacres of the twentieth century. And I'd yeah. like to show it yeah. to my daughter, maybe with a sound down, to to find so, out what she would think was going on. Yeah, yeah. Sounds but, like a kind mm. of Adam Curtis documentary idea. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. You know, just take the audio down. I, saw, I remember finding that really frightening, though. I remember watching that kind of footage. And also Michael Jackson, there, were, there was always footage of like people passing out because they were so hysterical in... And I always used to think, oh, I like Michael Jackson, but I don't like him that much. Yeah. yeah. Have, you, have you read Michael Braun's Love Me Do? Oh, no, no, I haven't. Oh, what a fantastic book. So it's about mm-hmm. the Beatles tour in... I've, I've not read it for a while. I think it's the 63 tour. Mm. I think that's right. And he was in the dressing room with, with the band and he goes to all of the gigs. And it's difficult to imagine now, but they were playing theatre. So I did stand-up at the, the Borough Theatre in Abergavenny. Um, right. And, mm. and the, the first time I turned up there... I've, I've, I've done that room a, a couple of times, but the first time I turned up, I had a very, very Paul McCartney haircut, right. which, which, which I have done since 1996, right? <laughs> <laughs> and um, the sound man said, if you could just walk to your right, a bit further right, and then back a pace, there we go. And I said, why? And he said, that's where Paul McCartney stood when the Beatles played here in 1963. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult, I think, to realise that in those days, they were playing theatres. yeah. Mm. Yeah, they would have played the leads because with some, a lot of the theatres I played with John at the end of last year on that tour, um, like the Leeds Variety. Have you played there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have mm. been like City the Varieties. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful venue, Great but like one. a real musical theatre. Yeah, so they, they, were, they were doing rooms like that. Yeah, and um, with with Love Me Do, it it was written. I think it was published in the sixties. Mm. And what I didn't realise was. A large proportion of these girls were wetting themselves. <laughs> so at the end, he's he's writing about the ushers who are cleaning piss off the seats. Oh God! And also, the Beatles met disabled people after the shows. So quite often there'd be a row of kids in wheelchairs, and it was it was like a religious experience. And he writes mm. about the Beatles in the dressing room before it happens. And they're like, oh God. <laughs> and it's a, it's a side of them that you don't really expect because of the yeah. hard days night caricature. You think that yeah. they're all going to be like, yeah, yeah. Whereas, you know, they've yeah. just done a gig, and you know, McCartney's shirtless and washing his armpits in the sink, <laughs> <laughs> and then eating a sandwich. Going back to those um, those tiny venues ones, I was reading um, about uh, a gig that they did in Mold. Um, oh yeah, where they they ca- the council cannily booked them just when they got back from Hamburg. Um, and they, I think they got them for a fee of about 50 quid when their average wow. fee was, like, nearly a grand. Um, and 
uh, a couple of weeks afterwards, Beatlemania had basically happened. So that Love Me Do uh, was at number one. They were playing all these huge rooms around the country and then they had to go to what is now the Lloyd's TSB in Mould <laughs> <laughs> to play in, in front for 50 quid. And yeah. uh, Brian Epstein insisted that they honoured it and they tried to wangle out of it. But, but also that so many other acts on the bill, they were only doing yeah. like 30 yeah. minute sets. Because mm. nowadays, because yeah. I think the, the Candlestick Park, the 66 tour where they did the Budokan in, in Japan, I think they were paid 100 grand or $100,000 per show. Um, A long way from mould. Yeah, and <laughs> well, one of the, the many reasons I love the Beatles is because they were the, the, the first band to achieve this success, I suppose, apart from Elvis. Mm. I think Epstein in particular, although Mark Lewison's written an, a new book that tries to rev, revive his um, reputation a little bit, because Epstein, I think, was blamed for not having modern managerial techniques yeah. mm. in the mid-60s when those techniques hadn't been invented yet. So you're mm. asking him to manage and administrate and facilitate the, the, the biggest live act on the planet mm. and also invent modern management. So he, didn't, <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't copyright their image and he didn't copyright their name and he didn't copyright mm. lots of stuff. So you could buy Beatles wigs and you could buy Beatles suits and you could buy Beatles winkle pickers and Beatles talcum powder and they weren't mm. seeing a, a penny of that. Yeah. And mm. nowadays, if if Simon Cowell starts a boy band, all of that is in place before they release their first single. But he was mm. having to he was constantly having to play catch up, and he also yeah. had other he had other acts as well. But I think the Beatles had such a per, like, personal relationship with it. Like, I mean, John in particular. Am I right in thinking there's been allusions to the fact that they were? Yeah. They had. A, yeah, they almost, went on an infamous holiday to Spain, and then. Yeah. Rumours persisted mm. yeah. of since. And then I think he got in a really big fight at Paul McCartney's 21st birthday when someone suggested that he might have been having a relationship with Brian Epstein and then he beat the shit out of someone and it all had to be hushed up. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. Well, he also yeah. um, beat up Stu Sutcliffe. In Hamburg. In Hamburg. No, no, and then he died of a brain hemorrhage. So mm. apparently there's a theory that oh Lennon was carrying an awful lot of guilt because of that. Right. Um, he also that. smashed up a phone box. He was, I, was, I think I'd be a bit scared of John Lennon. Yeah, he wasn't. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, he'd carry himself. Yeah. <laughs> he was quite burly before he yeah. discovered Yeah, he was quite LSD. tough, yeah. 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 If you had to fight a beetle, which one would you <laughs> choose? You could deck Ringo. I think I could deck Ringo. <laughs> I think Paul's too nice to fight back. Yeah. I would have said Harrison, but then he ended up fighting with the intruder. He did, yeah. Yeah, um, true. A few mm. years before he died. Mm. And uh, as well as uh, saying Harry Krishna, Harry Krishna, yeah. Harry Krishna, as the guy was on top of him, mm. and then um, Harrison's wife attacked the guy with a poker, <laughs> yeah, and sort of practically took his head off, which um, obviously must have been terrifying. But yeah. in answer to your question, it does feed into that. So I think <laughs> yeah. I would, I think I would go Ringo, McCartney, Harrison, Lennon. With the Budokan, that was, a, um, you know, it's quite a sacred space. And mm. I think they'd only had sumo wrestling and martial arts there. So when yeah. the Beatles mm. turned up, it was the only place big enough that where they could sell enough tickets to cover the $100,000 fee. Mm. But then it was very controversial than playing there. It'd be like playing, yeah. you know, a, a, a rock gig in a synagogue or a mosque or something. Yeah. But w what I love about... The Beatles and how naive their management was at times. You think, did no one find out, or yeah. was no one told that this was going to be controversial? I think a lot of those kind of Beatles stories influenced the the Spinal Tap film in many ways, wasn't there? The yeah, kind yeah. Of playing in bizarre places like an air mm. Air Force base or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And, and I think there's something of Brian Epstein in the Spinal Tap manager, isn't there? Yeah. Do you think so? And the Led Zepp manager. Kind yeah, of there just seems to be a lot of avoidable cock-ups in the Beatles story. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like the Imelda Marcos thing, were they... Yeah, that was... Bizarre. <laughs> but, but as you're saying, it was, um, you, you know, with Epstein, they were doing this for the first time. So the other extraordinary thing, which has obviously been talked about a lot, but Shea Stadium, when you look at that 
footage and the amps aren't mic'd up, you know, you just wouldn't have been able to hear anything. But it was all going through the PA, wasn't it? Yeah. The crazy thing with that is that Vox made them 100-watt amps. Yeah. So they'd always been playing through Vox AC30s, which are 30-watt amps, and then they had a 100-watt version of the same amp. Mm. And then it was going through the speaker that you'd where you'd announce pictures. So yeah, it, it yeah. would have sounded rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> but, it's, it's, but I love that, though. Have you watched Jimi Hendrix, uh, The Isle of Wight, you know, where it doesn't go very well for yeah. Hendrix? And mm. uh, before he goes on, he says, are the amps mic'd up? Like that. <laughs> <And it's> like, <laughs> I just love that kind of... It was so... Di- you know, it was just... We're so used to amplification and being very loud at a concert, but it would have actually been quite quiet if things weren't... I mean, obviously... Mm. There was a period where they just tried to get loads of amps on stage for big rock gigs, and yeah. that would be the amplification yeah. enough. You and know, a but... generation of deaf musicians. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what I like about the Candlestick Park gig, the final ever gig, is that because they're going through these 100 watt amps, because you know, mm. the stuff isn't being mic'd up, it's just cranked up to 10. Mm. So the mm. guitar sounds actually quite heavy, and it yeah, sounds... Yeah slightly later than it actually is if you know mm, what I mean that latency thing yeah so uh, when they when, when when they play the riff for day tripper it sounds heavier than it does on the record yeah. and it sounds great yeah because yeah. I love the sound of those vox amps especially yeah. if they're turned up all the way the thing I always find really weird about those gigs is they own, they played hundreds and hundreds of dates in these amazing massive venues but they only played 11 songs a night yeah yeah and it's really early been... stuff yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I would be quite disappointed. I mean, if you're in a crowd like that, if you you know, if you need the loo, you're going to see two songs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. interesting, isn't it? And also, the, yeah, that is the amazing thing, isn't it? Because they recorded Revolver before going on their last tour, didn't they? Yeah, I think they were contractually obliged to do it. Yeah, so to go from recording Tomorrow Never Knows and go back out on the road to play... Babies you know, in Black every yeah. night for six months. <laughs> What was your first Beatles memory? My mum was, like lots of teenage girls in the 60s, an avid seven-inch singles collector. So she bought all of the early singles, Please Please Me and Love Me Do and She Loves You, which which my mum still has, actually. Annoyingly, because people were mad and thick in the 60s, she um, (laughs) she had a rack to keep her singles in but they wouldn't fit if they were in the sleeves. So the sleeves have all been discarded. Yeah, the same with my dad, yeah. I had to um, find new sleeves for... Because my dad's got the uh, Strawberry Fields Penny Lane 7-inch. Yeah, yeah, my my mum's got that. So that's been... So a lot of them... And also they were kept in the attic for years. um, Mm. So they're warped or scratched. So I think She Loves You and Strawberry Fields um, are just about playable, but the the rest... Um, I've I've been well. They're not lost, but they're un, they're mm. unusable. Perished. Yeah. So my so my mum was um, a big Beatles fan, and my my dad, you know, but just by virtue of being the right age, is a Beatles fan. So as a as a little kid, we had a compilation of their singles on cassette, which we used to have in the car. Um, I can't remember what the compilation was called, but it was it was one of the early eighties ones. Yeah, we've we've mm. come across this a lot that that's people's first introduction was some of those really naff compilations. And like it was naff. golden I think it oldies, might, might have been or rock and roll. 20. I can't remember. Right. I have to look into this. Yeah, was it a black? Did it have a black cover? No, it had a white. Uh, I think it had a white cover, mm. but it was on cassette. And and this is when I'm still in primary school, and I didn't like it because I thought it was a bit naff because it was <laughs> mum and dad's music. Yeah. So we used to have it in turns. So my sister had Kylie, I had Jason Donovan and Jive Bunny and MC Hammer. <laughs> and my mum my mum and dad had the Beatles. And when, when it was the Beatles' turn, they'd be like, oh, God, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and then I didn't really give them much thought until um, a lot of the Britpop stars I liked mm. were constantly name-dropping them. And I also think people don't realise now, because the Beatles constantly crop up in music magazines, there was a period where they weren't actually mentioned that much. Yeah. And musicians mm. didn't mention them as as, refer, as um, reference points or influences. Yeah. In the 80s, I mean, obviously, we've got everything available at the touch of a button now, but you wouldn't necessarily be aware of all this stuff. It wouldn't be kind of in the... It, in the air as it is now in the 80s yeah. and, and it's kind of before the cd reissues came out that and some you know that there's that period where you wouldn't necessarily know all this stuff it wasn't quite 
seen as being mm. um, as pervasive as it is now. Yes. I so I mm. read I read um, an interview with John Harris, the Guardian writer, mm. who was who was at the enemy at the time, and he said yeah. he went on on the piss with Noel Gallagher, and they talked about the Beatles all night. And he said that had never actually happened before, and he'd been interviewing bands for years, mm. and then. So I, I I thought oh, okay maybe I should maybe I should r- review my current eye that I have for the Beatles and then the <laughs> Beatles anthology TV series right yeah that was pretty was big for shown me too sort of November December nineteen ninety five yeah and I taped it off the telly because I had an inkling that it was going to be important and I just could not believe what I was seeing and mm. and I'm I watched that all the way through probably twenty five or thirty times. Yeah. <laughs> And then I didn't watch it for a while, and then I watched. I bought the DVD, and I hadn't realised that the DVD has an awful lot of um, added content. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was it was cut for six episodes, I think, on mm. ITV, mm. But, and an hour each. Yeah, but but DVDs an ITV like an hour, hour is like forty five minutes because the adverts. Yeah. So there were more episodes, and they were and they were longer. Yeah. So there'd be a there'd be an interview that I knew word for word. Do you remember that one where Paul McCartney is sailing a boat while he's being interviewed? Yeah, and he's talking about yesterday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or or there's there's the stuff that's done in George Harrison's back garden. Yeah, with the ukuleles. And, and it's that's... constantly is clearly getting colder as the day wears on. <laughs> so he's, he's he's talking about Hamburg and he's got a t-shirt on. And then he's talking about the first time they go to America and he's got a T-shirt and a jumper. <laughs> <laughs> and he's talking about Abbey Road and he's got a coat on. <laughs> Should we go inside? No, no. Yeah. Yeah. Jules Holland's interjections. Yeah. yeah. Bit, bit nippy out here. So, yeah. and, and it was hugely disorientating. So I think, well, how can I remember that word for word? And mm. I've never seen this before until I realised what had happened. So, oh, I see. Yeah. So I, just, I, I watched the Beatles anthology... Um, TV series, the documentary, over and over and over and mm. over again, and I think that really cemented what I think a band should be. So I think mm. a band should start off a bit poppy, and then they should become slightly more experimental, and then they should mm. get into drugs, and then they should become really <laughs> experimental, and then they should pull it back a little bit, and they should start off looking the same and happy to look the same, and slightly more individualistic. Until yeah. now, they're not getting on. I mean, they did. Yeah, they wrote that. They 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 wrote the the book on that kind of rock story. All those, yeah. you know, cliches about getting getting your heads together in the country. You know, solo careers. Yeah, wives mm. intervening, and you know, all that. All these kind of cliches are, kind of came from the Beatles story. Yeah, they? it's yeah. amazing. <laughs> and I think the anthology and the fact that they split up in nineteen seventy, it makes it so much more compelling a story than the story of the Rolling Stones, for instance. Because the Rolling Stones doesn't have an end. It's still going. (laughs) So the Beatles were pretty much perfect for about seven years. Yeah. And then it ends, and that's it. Mm. And obviously you can get into the solo stuff if you want, but if you're a Beatles fan, you've just got that seven-year, you know, or eight-year period to pour over, Mm. and then that's it. Whereas with the Rolling Stones, you know, you could be... Hugely into the Stones, and then Exile on Main Street's really good, and then you know Startups about 1974, and then you're like, yeah. oh, not really sure. And then the 80s, and and, mm. and you can still see them, and it's not the same. It's, it's kind of adds to the mythology, doesn't it, that it ended there, and so each part of the story becomes like a station of the cross. You know, we've created so much significance around John and Paul meeting, and you know, yeah, um, going to India, that kind of. All these kind of key points in the story are now these hugely significant kind of uh, plot Yeah, points, I mean, I know. shouldn't know about Walton Village fate <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. in 1957. Yeah. I shouldn't know that happened. <laughs> and yeah, I think about it probably once a month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, 
a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Subtle results, still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulties swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert Eden syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Was I fast? Sorry, I'm out of breath because I've run up the steps. No, so no, I wanted to carry on. Was actually that was a kind of false economy because now I'm left to. <laughs> Alan Partridge awareness of how unfit you are, you know, like I I once yeah. did this thing where I was I was doing a stand up gig and for some reason I thought it'd be good to do star jumps for for whatever yeah. reason and I just I could, didn't recover for like five, ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just, yeah, just, just like cool leaning time. over with it. <laughs> it was great. Anyway. With the Beatles, I mean I could talk for hours about why I love mm. them so much, but I'm fascinated by post-war Britain, but in particular the 60s. Mm. And how, you know, the 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 the, the, the permissiveness and the, the, the social liberalism yeah. and the fact that suddenly you had working-class voices in the arts, you know, you had mm. um, you know, people like Twiggy and Michael Caine, obviously all of those bands. But I, th- I think that working-class cultures, often people think it's less intellectual than it actually is so all the you know the kinks and the who and the move and the beatles they were all art school kids and the kinks yes. so they'd all yeah. gone to art school in a way that you yeah. don't really do have now because art school was the thing that bright creative kids who dropped out of academia did mm. so lennon he wasn't much of an artist but he was creative and he he, he didn't want to work in liverpool dock yeah. So so he went to art school and I think that's what Pete Townsend did and that's what a lot of you know the musicians who who we're still listening to did in the 60s mm. and it was a kind of way out to find yourself really wasn't it it was a route to find finding yourself. Yeah. So what I what I love about them is that they started off as as you know poppy mainstream musicians but they were interested in in far deeper stuff. And yeah. McCartney, and I, this is a real bugbear of mine, people think that Lennon is the avant-garde one. Mm. But Lennon mm. was living in, you know, in a big house with his wife, whereas McCartney was single, so he was going to art happenings and stuff yeah, like this. Yeah. If you've mm. read Many Years From Now, I mean, this the, that book is very hot on this. Where he's like, <laughs> well, actually, I was, you know, I was into William Burroughs first. And yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I liked John Cage first. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I, I, I liked Stockhausen, you know, John didn't. It's weird, though, because whenever you... Again, going back to the anthology, a lot of the, sometimes McCartney does feel kind of torn between those two things, because sometimes you get him and he's going like... Uh, you know, where he's sitting by the fire and he goes, at the end of the day, Beatles were just a rock and roll group. Yeah, That's all yeah, we were. Yeah. You know, and he's like... Just a good little band. Yeah, good little band. Yeah. Good <laughs> little band. Yeah, so he's kind of like torn between thinking all we did was something very simple. We were a rock and roll group playing simple songs. And he actually had, these, yeah, these range of influences of like, you know, Shost- you know Shostakovich. And- mm. Well, he was definitely like a musical omnivore and... Yeah, in being that he became less selective about the stuff that he'd, yeah, you know, he was fascinated yeah. by everything in that, and mm. and turning the LP into a into a concept piece and mm. a and a and a coherent whole rather mm. than a collection of singles, which is what the LP had been prior to that. That is the art school influence of those musicians because mm. they'd they'd studied art and and they'd realised that you could do that kind of thing and you could push it in different directions. And in Hunter Davis's book, um, the official biography of the Beatles, mm. he says that he was in charge of the gossip column in the Times before the Beatles. 
And it was literally gossip about bishops. <laughs> like, some, some cardinal has said this. And, um, the, 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 the Bishop of Llandaff has said this about, an, about another diocese. So, and, and then the Beatles come along and, and they just change everything. And obviously the bands that came along in their wake. And I think the Beatles themselves are, are a brilliant prism through which to view the 60s. And the reason... Yes, yeah. The reason I don't have a... Well, I disagree with people who don't think they have value. Certainly music fans. Music fans were snobby about the Beatles, I think, is a slight affectation. Yeah. Because if you ask Jimi Hendrix and if you ask Eric Clapton or the Stones or the Who Mm. or the Kinks or or Led Zeppelin, they all think the Beatles were great. Mm. I mean, when Pepper gets released on the Monday and Hendrix is covering the title song on the Thursday night at a gig... So the the idea that they were just poppy and light and frothy is just yeah. is just not true because yeah. all of the other bands, apart from the Velvet Underground, all of the other bands mm. thought they were great. Yeah, they yeah they they sort of tell the story of the sixties in microcosm, don't yes, they? Yes, absolutely. Know, sort of, mm. um... And the fact that you know they kept their accents and thing, although and stuff like that. Although the thing with the Beatles accents, it was it was quite a big deal that they had Scouse accents, but I, I mm. I'm. I'm an, I don't know if the Scouse accent's changed. I think it has, because I remember chatting to a friend of mine from Liverpool who, in his family, he had those Christmas edition record, records they made. You know, they oh, made yeah. special ones for the fan club. And they've got... It's a little message from John here, wishing you all yeah. Merry Christmas. You know, and he said the yeah. Scouse accent has changed slightly yeah, over yeah. time. But I you think know. you can hear it. They ramp it up at, uh, at times. Oh, and Zaggy, Zaggy, yeah. Maggie, Zaggy, Maggie, Maggie. Exactly. Yeah, 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 no, yeah. Um, Oh, that's pan. more like Stephen Gerrard. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you know, they don't sound like, they don't sound like Jamie Carragher, do they? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, as someone who's got a huge interest in the 60s, yeah. if you read the more academic books about the Beatles... It's a, it, they're also then great books about the 60s, and it's just yeah. such a fascinating time. There was a brilliant picture. I think Andrew Mayle, writes for the Mojo, tweeted it. It's a picture of Pete Townsend changing a tyre on the tour van. And he says, you know, it's, he said something like, it's the middle of the 60s, but this photo looks like it's half past World War Two. Yeah. You know, <laughs> which is such a great yeah. way of saying it. It's, it's yeah. like this idea that, you know, it was so, the World, Second World War was so close. You yeah, know, yeah, it yeah. really was, you know, within well less than within... twenty years from yeah. the end of World War Two to the Beatles' first single. Yeah, which is extraordinary when you think about it. And they were all born yeah. during wartime. Yeah, 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 yeah. I always think of it strange as the period between when people of our generation were born to the beginning right. of the Beatles' career is the same amount of time as yeah. the beginning of the Beatles to the end of the Second right, World War. Right, that's what you mean. Yeah, yeah. So you always yeah. think of those things as being sort of ancient history. Yeah, there are some. Lo- I've, I mean, you like the passing of time, don't you, Alice? There no, some- I hate it, and I, <laughs> yeah. I want it to stop. There's a really good one I saw, which was if 1979 by the Smashing Pumpkins came out now, it would be called something like 2006. Oh God, yeah, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I thought I was going to faint when I read that tweet. <laughs> Until they came along, and their peers came along, it's amazing the grip that the old school tie and Oxbridge mm. had on 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 stuff like the BBC. I mean, obviously, there'll be listeners who say, well, it's still like that. But you, you know what I mean. I mean, the, mm, yeah. the Times doesn't have... It doesn't mention bishops in the gossip it columns any, anymore. <laughs> yeah. Unless they've done something really bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But then that's not really one for the gossip column, is it? I would say that's one of the front page. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bishop's out getting pissed. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, I just also it 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 does help that they were so photogenic. They were just so charming and mm. funny, and the, that's why I think a lot of people did think that those retorts were kind of scripted. But yeah. all those little comebacks and stuff in those press mm. conferences, you can see that they're sort of feeding off each other with this uh, this that weird energy that they had in yeah. the band that made them so. Yeah, good. they were so funny as well. I, yeah. I also think it's a better story, say, than Elvis, because there's four of them. Mm. Yeah. And they, they often said this that on the anthology. They, they used to say that we felt sorry for Elvis because it was just him. 
mm. was at least there were three other Beatles who knew yeah. what it was like. So if you were He's Neil playing Aspen- his Fender bass, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so at least if you were Neil Aspinall or or Mal or Brian Epstein, and you were near mm. the band, you weren't a Beatle. Yeah. But you you had an idea of what it was like to be at the centre of the tornado. But mm. they 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 could always rely on the other three. And when they first met the Beatles, when they first met Elvis. Because it was such a long drive to Elvis's house, they apparently they forgot why they were in the car, so they just <laughs> assumed it'd be a ticket to a gig or something. And then they turn up, they're like, "Oh, it's only oh, yeah, that... me and Elvis." And Harrison was this says, during the marijuana years. Yeah, and Harrison yeah. says we sort of fell out of the car giggling, like like it was wow. something out of Help or Hard Day's That's Night. Amazing. Some of my favourite bits in the anthology is when they just completely contradict each other's yeah, <laughs> yeah, recollection yeah. of it. And there's Ringo's like, oh, one of the things I remember is that he never stood up the whole time we were there. <laughs> yeah. And then George is like, so Elvis answers the door. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they could have answered it in a chair. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And he had, and, uh, McCartney remembers that he had the first remote control telly he'd ever seen. Yeah. yeah. He had a, he had a <laughs> that you would remember. <laughs> yeah. Ringo talking about the fact he had an answer machine on his phone. <laughs> like, we still had answer machine. Well, McCartney, I think has an adorable habit of making what should be an amazing story and turning it into quite a boring anecdote. <laughs> so he's, 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 you could argue, I'd say, that he's the 20th century's greatest songwriter. He's part of the 20th century's greatest cultural phenomenon. Mm. And he took acid, which changed a generation. And then you... you I think it, it might be in many years from now, or if it's in the anthology, I can't remember. He's like, yeah, I... I I took this LSD and so nothing happened. And then after about 20 minutes, I looked at my shirt. I remember thinking, I've got a dirty shirt. <laughs> I've got a dirty shirt. All I need to clean my shirt. And you're like, come on, boys. <laughs> the, the Johnny Wilkinson of... Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is that... I love there's a Johnny Wilkinson talking about when they won the World Cup in 2003. And he says, he goes, it was like a festival. Festival of Rugby. <laughs> so good. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, McCartney has always... Is, he, he, it goes back to what we were talking about, being torn between the arty world and the more traditional world. I think sometimes there's this element where McCartney wasn't as comfortable as talking about those kind of yeah. wilder things he indulged in than maybe John might have done. Maybe. Mm. Although you he know. did put the adverts in the Times calling for the decriminalisation of marijuana. Mm, yeah, yeah and I mm. think he was very much a pothead, whereas Lennon loved LSD. Mm, and I think, yeah. I think McCartney was a bit scared of acid. He only took it a few times. Yeah, mm. I think they were all quite pissed off with him when he was the first person to come out and explicitly say that he had done it because they had been doing it for ages but hadn't admitted it. And yeah. then he did it once, and then came out and he's like, "Yeah, I did it. Do it all the time." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that rubber soul, the rubber soul sessions were all absolutely stoned out of their minds are just hilarious though aren't they they're the, absolutely brilliant it's not the the version of and your bird can sing oh yeah that where they're laughing all where the they're through. laughing yeah so i've listened good. to that more than the version <laughs> yeah. on the record because yeah. i just find it so charming yeah it's brilliant mm. obviously we know that's revolver we just we should yeah say yeah. That, but yeah yeah but why, <laughs> why don't they stop i don't know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's great and it's musically, yeah. it's a slightly different version as well. Yeah, it's great more birdsy, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of sounds like but I think well, if if the take has been ruined, yeah. stop. <laughs> like, yeah, but they, they, musically, it's not perfect. You don't get me. You can't see. <laughs> One thing I was going to ask you about is obviously, um, you know, you're from Carmarthen, um, and Gorky's are a big band for you. Yeah. So I was going to, I mean, Gorky's are a huge band for me too, and I, I've sort of, because my mum's from Carmarthen, so we sort of had that strange connection when we met, and um, I think that my mum's knows people who know your mum. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but... For me, in the 90s, you talked about the kind of Britpop era as being a time when you went back to the Beatles. But for me, it felt like with Gorky's, that was the first time I had my band, a kind of my band to around now. Um, And, you know, I sort of went through the Nirvana thing and Kurt Cobain died and and all that. And then when I I first heard Gorky's, I was in Wales, actually, kind of felt significant at the time. 
And for me, that felt like they were really my band because it felt like they were continuing stuff that I loved about the Beatles, you know, which was yeah. this slightly nostalgic quality, obviously the psychedelic element, and something quite folky as well, something white albumy and a lot yeah. of the Gorky stuff. And I wonder if you, is that something that you've thought that you kind of the Gorky's for you were kind of. Yeah, I think um, the chorus, say, to Game of Eyes is very McCartney esque. Yeah, because mm. Game of Eyes is a big silly psychedelic song. I love that song, but right, yeah. the chorus itself though has got a really brilliant hook, and I think mm. A. Ross Childs's hooks in particular are quite McCartney esque. Very he's McCartney. A big, he's yeah. a big mm. fan of Paul McCartney. Yeah, and I remember having an argument with someone who didn't like the Beatles, and there were two of us sort of arguing the toss on behalf of the Beatles, and my mate said, "But if you listen to their songs, how?" Many of them fail. Mm. So, oh, 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 is yeah. is the one. It's a stick that's used to beat Paul McCartney mm. with, and it's not very cool. But I don't think it's a bad song. No. It's tremendously catchy. Yeah, I think what's really interesting with McCartney is. So I was listening to Ram um, this week, and nice. you know the brilliant song "Another Day." Yeah, mm. which is. That's on RAM, isn't it, before? I'm so uh, worried now that people are going to tweet in. <laughs> I, I, I think it's in, on the digital re-release, but I don't know if it's actually okay. originally on the record. But that is just such an incredible song because it's so brilliantly McCartney. Yeah. You know, it's just beautiful melody. Oh, Jack's off. Oh, has he gone to look for RAM? <laughs> yeah, it's on RAM, isn't it? It's on the archive collection. No, it is not. Oh, but I've <laughs> got it here uh, on my phone. It's, it's on the on, RAM It's archive. on the re-release, I think. Oh, I see. Um, it's it's cool. like on the, uh, the... I think it's the first track on the special edition. Right. I, I, I must admit, I find the Beatles solo work quite difficult to listen to. Hmm. Because... Mm. I've just kind of only really, from doing this podcast, started listening to them more than I have done. I, it's, it's actually an, an emotional thing, hmm. in that... There are McCartney songs that need a bit of Lennon. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Mm. So, like, Another Day is just beautiful melody. It's just another... You know, it's just so beautiful. Then he just can't help doing that. You know, he just can't resist doing this. It resolves in a kind of sickly way, you know. And a lot of Lennon stuff, certainly the later solo stuff, needs a bit of McCartney melodic influence in it, I think. Mm. Mm. And and also, certainly the stuff on Imagine, like, how do you sleep? I just find it upsetting that he could yeah. Yeah. be like that about about yeah. his mate. I can't mm. listen to it or watch that documentary. It just makes me sad. And yeah. there's, um, I think it's in many years from now, where by about 1975 they had... Um, they they they'd become friends again, and they'd reconciled a little bit. Mm. And then McCartney just started turning up at John's house with his guitar. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Lennon would say it's not it's not 1958. <laughs> 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 I've got stuff yeah. on. Yeah. I've got I'm looking after my kids, and I'm baking <laughs> bread. I've got stuff to do. <laughs> ever do the Beatles on the Sacred Cow on your radio show? No. We did have yeah. a strange argument about them for a BBC America thing. Right. Where we had to argue the toss Beatles over Queen. Because John, John's kind of... It's not that he's anti-Beatles, but he obviously just thinks Queen better. He <laughs> thinks they're very smart. unsexy and he thinks yeah. that they would have been bad in bed. <laughs> Even though McCartney true. had a circular bed and they, he had a lot of sex. <laughs> I don't think that's why John doesn't like the Beatles. He just, yeah. He's yeah. said that to me a couple of times. I think it, right. I'd rather sleep with any Beatle than Brian May. Oh, that's God, your yeah. criticism. Yeah, <laughs> I think he just fi- finds them silly. You know, like this is. I remember this having this chat with Jan when I was playing in the band with Jan Tiersen That a lot of the French guys just found the Beatles silly. You know, it's kind of they think it's all Yellow Submarine and it's kind of yeah silly music or something. I, mm. <laughs> And I think John's kind of slightly got that idea that, I don't know, that it's kind of too pop or something. We were preparing for the show, for a live show, and I put on Rubber Soul and then I put on Revolver. And he really liked that. 
Mm. And he was clicking his fingers and saying, oh, this is this is great. I'm, He's I'm, very hard to introduce music to. Uh, impossible. I've never met anyone yeah. like it. So I've been yeah. talking to him about Half Man, Half Biscuit for six years. Yeah. And then a couple of weeks ago, he was like, this is band, you've got to listen to them. Half Man, Half Biscuit. I may need compilations. Yeah. I was good mates with someone. I still am, but I used to see a, someone a lot who who's sort of grade eight theory. Mm. And his dad was a, a very good musician and he liked music in quite an interesting way. So he really liked music, like a musicologist likes music. So he mm. liked a quite obscure jazz music, even as a young man. Mm. And his argument against the Beatles, because he didn't like the Beatles, which used to piss me off, but his <laughs> his argument against the Beatles was that the the thing that people, rock critics in particular, always say that's so good about them is that, you know, I feel fine's got the first bit of feedback on a pop single mm. and, um, you know, backwards the backwards guitar, guitar, guitar solos yeah. and on mm. Revolver and, and, and the tape loops on Tomorrow Never Knows, etc., etc. And his argument was always, well, Stockhausen was doing that 10 years before. Yeah. And I will say, yeah, but no-one is doing it in a pop context. And I say, well, I don't yeah. care about a pop context. I care about music. So if I want to hear yeah. tape loops, I listen to the first guy who did it who did it better because yeah. I don't want it to be diluted right. um, for a pop audience. It doesn't sound like much of a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> but I used, to, I used to love that conversation. But the thing is... I think it is amazing that you can turn that into something that millions of people love. It's quite a gatekeeper-y way of thinking about it, isn't it? It's kind of it's all it's basically saying you don't like something because it's popular, but there's so much that people kind of are scared of experimental music, but there's so much people could can get out of experimental music. It's not kind of yeah. reserved for having a special brain, you know. Yeah. You know, you, anyone can listen to a you know, Steve Reich piece and, you know, Mm. let the bruised blood come out or something like that and it has an impact it's like such a powerful piece of music made from tape loops yeah. and you know there's a slight kind of sense of oh you would you wouldn't really get it it's uh you know it's a tape loop they're actually yeah. phasing in and out of sync and it's like you know it, it, it can it does work on an emotional level he had no time for the argument was that well they were the first people to do it in a pop context mm. is that well I don't care. It's a bit like yeah. this is this is quite a stretched analogy, sport analogy. <laughs> so you're gonna have to you're gonna have to stick with me, but I think you'll know what I mean. Yeah. In the nineties, Cardiff Rugby Club <laughs> Great <it's> good start. <laughs> had had a winger called Nigel Walker who'd been a a sprint in the Commonwealth Games, a hundred meter hundred and ten meter hurdler, in fact. Mm. So he was on the fringes of Team GB, I think. At that sprinting, a brilliant sprinter, but you know, I suppose world class, and he's, he's competing at the World Commonwealth Games, got to semi final, I think. But he's 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 not going to win the world championships, but he's still a brilliant sprinter. Now, when he then played rugby, in the context of rugby, he was super fast, mm. insanely fast. So all of the fast rugby players were then made to look slow, and I think you'll know what I mean. <laughs> You think, oh, wow, he's super fast. But actually, if he were watching athletics, like, well, he's quite mediocre. But then right, you make him do right. a slightly different thing and it's suddenly incredible. Mm. And I think that is what I think about tape loops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My friend uh, Rodri Viney, the lovely Rodri musician who Robin knows, Mm. He made a very yeah, great he, musician. He made a brilliant argument about how, as an adult, you end up a McCartney. So you you yeah. start off as a Ringo fan. It's like becoming more because, more right wing. Yeah, as you because of Thomas the Tank Engine. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. so Ringo's the one you know as a little kid because his mm. voice is is so warm, and you might know the Yellow Submarine as well and other yeah. stuff. Garden. And then you get to Lennon when you're about fourteen because you want a bit. You want to be acerbic, yeah. and you want to be arch, and and he's the serious one. And yeah, he's you know he's giving back his MBE. He's yeah. he's, <laughs> he's doing all of that stuff. And then you realise, well, he, you know, he was abusive towards Cynthia, and actually, I'm not sure I like John Lennon. So you think, okay, Harrison, Harrison's mm. the mm. one. 
then you realise that he, he didn't do a huge amount as a solo career. He was quite lazy. He wanted he wanted to do other other stuff. And then you're like, mm. actually, it was Paul. Paul's the guy. <laughs> it's it is like getting into Steely Dan yeah. when as in your thirties, isn't it? Getting into Paul, it's kind of. You, you kind of yeah. start to really appreciate the technicality of what he did, I suppose. Yeah, and mm. yeah. I, th- that sums up my uh, journey of favourite Beatles pretty much to yeah. a T, I have to say. I just wish they'd got on a bit more, McCartney and <laughs> yeah. Because, as Ian MacDonald says, the songs where they, that they did write together, 50-50, were spectacular. Mm. And, y- y- you know, I... I, I I think Lennon phoned it in at times because he was interested in other stuff. I also... But I, there's that thing where he's phoning in, but they're still unbelievably good. Yeah, that's true. So I think yeah. on the White Album, there is stuff that... I mean, I, th- I get, you get the sense he sort of tossed off Sexy Sadie, but that, is pro- that would be the best song in any other band's career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. He said it was rubbish as well. He didn't have yeah. any regard for it. Yeah. Or Cry Baby Cry <laughs> or something like that. These are, like, some of my favourite songs. And, you know, he t- talked about them being... You know, tossed off, or you know, written yeah, quickly, or whatever. The yeah. ones, the ones recorded in Rishikesh. Cry Baby Cry is a very gawky song, I think. Yeah, yeah. Because it's got that slight kind of eerie childhood quality, and yeah. I, and I, I like the fact that Paul McCartney was quite nostalgic for Liverpool and mm. growing up. Yeah. And I think it's quite sweet, actually, the way he writes about childhood, mm. which also was the last time he was normal. Yeah. <laughs> He's been one of the world's most famous people for more than half a century. That's mad, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, so, that's his, I think his crowning achievement is not being completely mad. Mm. Yeah. Sort of just from the stress of living with... this. Uh, someone I can't remember who told me this, but um, I don't think we've mentioned this, but one of my favourite Paul McCartney stories is that to, when he goes into a public toilet... Um, and he goes to be in a urinal, he announces himself to the toilet and he goes, hello, it's Paul McCartney. <laughs> <laughs> just to stop everyone going, whispering and stuff, you just yeah. announce yourself to the room. Hey, it's Paul McCartney, just get on with it. <laughs> I, would, um, I, would, I would love to meet him, hmm. but I get tremendously starstruck and would get it wrong. Yeah. Um, but I've, I've now come to peace or come to terms with the fact that I would get it wrong. Yeah. So I just, I just need, I need that selfie. Yeah. <laughs> but um, oh my god, good stuff. What pose would I do? <laughs> yeah, you've got to go the mac thumbs, thumbs up, up or the other piece, up, yeah. It? yeah. Yeah. Make your mouth into a little O. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I've had. I think I've probably had more recurring dreams about um, slash nightmares about meeting Paul McCartney and getting it wrong than. Uh, anything else apart from my GCSE maths exam. Yeah. Um, I always have one that That's I've great. taken a picture of him and I get home and all the photos are really are too blurry and you can't see who yeah. he is. <laughs> have you ever heard... Do you, ever, do you listen to the Rule of Three podcast? No, I should, because it's I very, know very funny. and they're, they're really good guys. They're but... brilliant, yeah. But the, the one about with Robert Popper on talking about Faulty Towers is absolutely brilliant. It's so funny. Oh, OK. And Robert Popper tells this story about meeting John Cleese similarly starstruck and everything and it's so funny it's um robert popper and his brother used to have a game where they test each other by they'd recite a random line from faulty towers and the other one would have to guess which episode it was from oh wow <laughs> and then and then robert popper made one up that wasn't in an episode <laughs> which was uh, try looking through it which <laughs> is <laughs> so weird and when he met john cleese he like tried to tell him that story, <laughs> <laughs> and John Cleese was like, "Try looking through it. That's not in an episode, I know." And he's like, "Got it completely wrong." Oh, so gosh. embarrassed. <laughs> I love that. Funny. It really makes me laugh. Um, well, we, we've taken up quite a lot of your time, Ellis. So yeah, we're, thank you so pleasure. much for coming. I've on. enjoyed every second. Yeah, it's been brilliant. Thanks so much. So that was Ellis James's personal Beatles. Um, some really interesting stuff in there. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, he's a, he's a passionate man. 
And thank you for, if you got this far, thank you for keeping with us. Yeah, and if you enjoyed that, then please rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on social media at Personal Beatles. We're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And we'll be back next Tuesday with another great episode. This one features a Dr. Susie Gage. Yeah, it's a really interesting episode we talk. Uh, if you know Susie Gage, she's an epidemiologist and, a, and she's written a lot about drug use. And so it's kind of an interesting episode. We get more into the kind of sciencey element of it and drugs linked to creativity, etc. So it was, that was a good chat. Yeah, and um, she's also uh, at Liverpool University uh, teaching there. So we get some very good insight into some of the Beatles tourist traps to avoid, um, <laughs> which is also quite useful if you're planning a holiday to Merseyside. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back next week. Yep, see ya. Your Own Personal Beatles is presented by Jack Pelling and Robin Allender. The podcast artwork is done by Morgan Ritchie. It's produced by me, Jack Pelling, and is a Homespun Sounds production.